0: Hello and welcome to the Behind the Artist podcast with Park West Gallery. I'm gallery director Morris Shapiro. If you'd like to view works of the artists I'm interviewing and learn more about them, please visit our podcast site with links to more content at parkwestgallery.com forward slash podcast.
1: International art dealer Park West Gallery is proud to present our new podcast series, Behind the Artist. Each episode will be talking to popular contemporary artists to learn the stories and inspiration behind their extraordinary artwork and fascinating careers.
0: This is Behind the Artist, it's no frills, just real and deep conversation. I'm Maurice Shapiro and I hope you enjoy this journey into the life and art of Dominic Pengborg. Well, let's go back to school. So now you're, you're, you're doing this incredible job. You're getting all this amazing work experience, right? And seeing your, your, your vision, you know, getting into
1: design and advertising. Right. But you're still in school. Right. So you, you, did you finish school? Oh, yeah. I mean, yes. school was uh, such an ease because, you know, I, I had all this equipment that I could do things with, Mm -hmm. 3M color keys and stuff that I can mimic. I didn't have to render these magic marker renderings and stuff that Mm -hmm. other students, and so my presentation for everything was like a million bucks. It was Mm -hmm. like, you know, it was like, wow, how do you do that? Mm -hmm. So even other students, like, man, you are cutting edge. You're Mm -hmm. top of the world. And and so by the time I was a senior, uh, I really had issue with the teachers. Because I was head of them, and so I remember this uh, when, uh, well, Vic was the head of the department and, and uh, his girlfriend was the assistant, and, and uh, I got into a little argument with him, and, and I had done this project, and within that three-hour class, I was all done. And I said, well, I'm all done. He said, well, no, you're not. And I said, what do you mean I'm not? He said, we're going to do this the whole semester. I said, what do you mean you're gonna do this whole semester? I said, "Get real. There's no such thing. You don't spend a whole semester designing something that you can when I do something in the studio, I got an hour. I don't have three months, okay? and this is one hour project. No, it's not. We're gonna do this, so we're gonna take it to printing, we're gonna do it. I'm done, man. You know, yeah. and he just kept on arguing with me. And I said, okay, something is wrong with this. okay, so I went down to the dean and I said, listen, uh, we need to talk. I said, I'm paying for this school. I need teachers that's gonna teach me. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's not right when a student knows more than the teacher. And so we. Had a good, you know, honest discussion and everything, and and next thing I know, uh, Vic and his assistant is out. (laughs) Mm -hmm. They got fired from the school or let go, and a new guy came. And so I I finished. I graduated with the associate degree. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then you wanted to get your master's, right? And you went to Syracuse. Syracuse uh, Communication Arts Magazine was. uh, probably was the number one magazine our designers uh, are subscribed to. Mm -hmm. And the magazine had arrived at my home, and uh, my wife happened to, she normally wouldn't be looking at reading my magazine, but she happened to have read that one. And so when I got home, she was cooking dinner, and she said, oh, your Communication Arts magazine came. I said, yeah? She says, yeah, there's an interesting story about uh, uh, Syracuse University master's program. So I grabbed a magazine and read the article. And I said, wow, they got some incredible you know, professors. You know, they're all working professors, top of their agencies and studios and so on. And she said, well, why, why don't you go? You know, I said, well, first of all, it's expensive as hell. And, you know, at that time, you know, and uh, Whatever money we had was I was we were saving to buy our house or whatever, you know. And you're still and, in Chicago. No, no, in Detroit. Oh, you're in Detroit. Yeah, you're back in yeah, Detroit yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, she' and I said, besides, I don't have a you know bachelor's degree. He said, yeah, but you always know how to do that, you know. And, <laughs> you know so how to finagle yeah, your yeah. way through. Yeah. So anyways, I called the school and, and uh, they told me I I can't. And I, Marianne was her name, and I said, Marianne, I said, really. I'd really like to have a conversation with you on how I can get into the master's program, okay? He said, there's no way. There's no way. You've got to have a bachelor's degree. And I said, no, I understand where you're coming from, Mary Ann, but there's got to be a way. And she, after several arguments, and she just finally said, Dominic, if there is, only ones can make that decision is the Board of Trustees. And that was the magic word, I said, great. I want to meet with them, and she said, well, you can't. We don't allow our students, and that's when I came back, and I said, well, I said, I'm not your student yet, and she she goes, you seem to have an answer for everything. I said, no, I really want to do this, and so she said, all right, well, let me see what I can do, and uh, she called me back, and she said, okay, there's a board meeting on this day, I got 30 minutes mm-hmm. for you to come in, okay? So you gotta be ready. F- yeah, be yeah. here. Yeah. So I flew to Syracuse and, and uh, jumped in that taxi and, and got to school. And uh, she was literally waiting for me at the steps. And we ran to the board meeting room and, and uh, I presented my case. And, uh, and one of them said, I like it. You're accepted under one condition: upon completion of your MFA, we're gonna first hand you a bachelor's, and then we're gonna hand you the master's. <laughs> so, the protocol. Yeah, no, Still, he had yeah. a bachelor's. Yeah. yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. And so, I attended to Syracuse, and and it was great. And one of my there was a woman, professor Heidi uh, Rickenbaum, She was. The, the, like the best package designer in the U.S., I mean, period. And, uh, oh, my God, she she was the first one to tell me, she said, and we were having dinner together, and she said, uh, Dominic, to be honest, I, I, you, your design is so intriguing, and, and you inspire me. And I said, what? You're kidding me. And I said, no, you're beyond me, and said, how can I be beyond you? I said, you are the reason I came to this because your name in this mm-hmm. program. And uh, the next thing I know, I John Sellers, who was the head of the department, he, he told me, he says, uh, the teachers are not comfortable teaching you. Mm-hmm. He said, they want you to teach the master's program with them. Mm-hmm. So, first thing I thought was that, that Heidi was behind it. Mm-hmm. And Heidi said, Yes, you know, Dominic, I don't talk to any of those guys. Mm-hmm. I said, I just stay in my own world. And he says, I had nothing to do with it. I says, oh, OK. So you're in the master's program, and you get promoted to be a teacher. Well, actually, I what happened is I didn't teach at the Syracuse. I, I went back to Detroit. They refunded me the full amount. Uh, they wanted me to teach there, but I would have to obviously move to Syracuse. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And so I came back to Detroit and CCS. Center for Creative yep. Studies. Right. C- School School. Me yeah, right. Called me. And um, Trip Power was the guy's name, head of the department. He comes to studio and asked me to teach. I said, no, I'm not interested in teaching. Mm-hmm. Um, well, He kept at it until I couldn't say no, Mm -hmm. and uh, so I taught at the Center for Creative Studies. How long did you teach there? I only taught there like a couple of years, you know, right. and yeah. Yeah, just part-time because right. I, I was really busy. Right. Um, my business saying, was yeah, booming yeah. like crazy. Yeah,
0: so you yeah. You, yeah. you set up your own firm in, in Detroit, from right. Chicago in Detroit, yeah. and you got this awesome business going on, yeah. and it, you're still making fine art at the same time, right? Right. Because you can't get it out of your system. Yeah. Well, <laughs> fine
1: art was always a pleasure, you know? Yeah. yeah. What was beautiful, beautiful in my situation, uh, unlike other artists, was that uh, financially I was very successful. Mm -hmm. So I didn't have to paint for the sake of making money. So I got to be creative Mm Create things the way I want to create. Mm-hmm. I didn't have to be at the mercy of an art gallery that says, "Well, telling you what to paint." Right, uh-huh. and that's that's the I think major difference between uh, Park West and any other art gallery is the Park West doesn't tell tell the artist, "Well, I want you to." You're known for poppy, so I, I don't want to say anything but poppy, you know that kind of thing. You know, so I got to do all the things, and then one evening. Or one, one day I got a call from uh, Keith Crane from C- Crane, C- Crane C- Communications, C- yeah C- and he was the chairman of the uh, the board of uh, directors for the uh, Center for Creative Studies mm-hmm. He said I would like you to uh, attend the board meeting uh, on Wednesday you know at 6:30 I said okay so I went in and, and uh, the board sat at the table and said well, we want to welcome, you know, Dominic to the board and I said, excuse me, he said, <laughs> no one told you? Uh, told me what? Uh, then the gentleman who was supposed to tell me, yeah, he said, um, I, I forgot to get hold of Dominic and this and that, he says, uh, what's going on, well, you, you've been elected to the board of trustees. <laughs> you know, uh, I hope you're gonna take it. Yeah. You know, I said, "All right, I'm taking it." <laughs> okay. That's okay. Yeah,
0: that's so at the same time, you've got your design business going, and it gets very successful with your neckties and your scarves and your luggage. And that must have been really, really
1: cool. How did you get into that whole concept? Well, the ties were always something I admired. I mean, I went to Catholic school, having to wear ties, and but as I was in school, we had to wear the uniform tie. But uh, I would buck the system and I would come to school in a very bright, colorful silk tie that nobody would have, everybody <laughs> had this uniform tie. And I'd get penalty to have to go to jog or something, but to me it was worth it, you know, that kind of thing. But so in profession, uh, I always show up at meetings with these beautiful designer ties. So when my wife and I, we travel around the world, that's one thing I collected, was that I would find some really unique tie in that town or that city, and, and that would be my ultimate purchase. And so one day I was uh, working on the Korean Daewoo automotive company. They were, right now, at that time, they were just getting into manufacturing cars. So their first car they were manufacturing was uh, the the Grand Am for the General Motors, uh, which totally bombed, you know. But where they were big was they were making all the automotive components that the other companies were buying, and so, so they had hired me to do the marketing for the automotive components, and uh, so. While I would have a meeting out in Troy, that's where their headquarters was. Troy, Michigan. Yeah. And uh, right across the street was Kmart, okay? Um, Kmart,
0: Kmart headquarters. Kmart headquarters.
1: Yeah. yeah. And and I didn't know at that time that the Daewoo company, their um, prime business was not the automotive. Their prime business was textile. Mm, they, they were yeah. the world's largest textile company. Mm. So they made all the products for Kmart, mm-hmm. and that's, so the general manager for the textile division was right there also in that same space. So one day as I was coming out of the automotive groups meeting, uh, he grabbed me and said, hey, can you design some neckties? And I was excited as heck. Like, oh my god, that's my dream. You know, I mean, Ralph Lauren, you know, yeah, did it. Sure. Nicole Miller, you know, uh-huh. got their start yeah. in neckties. Yeah. And so I got excited. I just dropped everything, went to the studio, and uh, pumped out twenty-five designs. Mm. And next morning, right at eight o'clock, I show up at the uh, office. Mm. He comes in and goes, like, what's up? Well, the tie designs. That was yesterday. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he was like, "What do you mean?" I said, "So." This is how I work. Yeah, I hand him the designs, and he's like, "Oh my God, you are awesome! Yeah. Incredible! Uh, can I take these?" I said, "Yeah." So next week he comes, calls me up, and he says, "We gotta meet." He said, "These ties are unbelievable." So the only problem is they're too good. I said, "What do you mean too good?" He said, "Well, our clients is Sears and uh, yeah. and Kmart." K-Mart. Yeah these belong to SACS. Mm-hmm. I said, so? Let's make it. Let's do SACS. He said, no, we're too big of a company to do things for Saks. You know, you need a specialist. Mm-hmm. I said, well, it's any recommendation? He says, actually, I do. I have a friend that he worked, uh, was it? he said, like 15 years in Italy working for one of the finest uh, Thai manufacturer. Mm-hmm. He just moved to Korea and opened up his own Specialty Thai manufacturing. Wow. So everything is the Italian way and this and that and so on. Fine silk. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I send him the designs and uh, in two weeks I get samples. Mm-hmm. All made. It's beautiful. I mean, it's just printing, the design, sewing, everything. It's like excellent. And uh, uh, I said, okay, let's take it to 65th Avenue, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, of course Jumped it was all over. Well, it, at first it wasn't that easy. I couldn't get an appointment. Oh yeah. You know, it's, yeah. you know they're not interested. You know. Right. So I made up the story. I flew to New York, and I called the guy from the lobby of the Saks Fifth Avenue and I called upstairs. And I said, uh, his name happened to be Troy, and I said, Troy, listen, um, this is Dominic Pangborn. Uh, I am traveling through New York. I'm leaving this afternoon. I got a few minutes, if there's any possible way, if you could just take a look at some ties that I designed. I said, first of all, I'm going to tell you, okay? I've never done this before. I'm not here to try to sell you the ties. I want your opinion, what you think of it, okay? So you could tell me in five minutes that they suck or whatever. So if where are you at? I said, I'm downstairs. <laughs> he said, all right, come on up. I give you 20 minutes, you know, got up. Secretary said, well, just go right in that conference room. Went in there. I pulled out the 25 ties, took it out of the sleeves and laid them all across the table. He walks in and he's like, oh, my God, these are your designs? I said, yeah. How soon can I have these? (laughs) (laughs) I, I said, well, it's probably three weeks, okay. He said, so you're from Detroit? I said, yes, sir, yeah and he was a young kid, and uh, he said, listen, we have two stores in Detroit, one in Fairlane and one in Somerset. They've been both been screaming about wanting new ties, something completely different and so on. So let's start with that, okay? I want you to go to see Kevin over at the Fairlane and uh, tell him he has a blank order to whatever he wants. So I took the same and met with Kevin, and." He, he said, "Oh my God!" So he ordered 450 ties, and uh, and all of a sudden it just goes. I mean, it just goes nuts. I mean, every customer just just flying for these ties, and so then uh, it's been only like ten days or so. I I get call from Larry, who's the manager over at the Somerset. Dominic, um, are you the tie designer? He said, "Yeah." Okay, I'm just Larry uh, Somerset. Uh, why is it we don't have any? I said, Well, uh, Troy told me to start with Kevin. He said, Well, I want those ties. He says, I'm hearing all these things and so on and so on. I went and showed it. So, how many did Kevin order? 450. He said, Okay, I want the same thing. So, I gave him the 450 ties and said, Can you come in? Uh, like Saturday morning, about uh, 8 o'clock. Uh, I want you to explain to the salespeople and I want to call all the employees at the, the store uh, for a meeting and if you could do a 15-minute presentation." I said, great. So I came in and I made a little presentation and, and he uh, goes, holy crap, we sold 80 ties at a full price to the employees. Mm-hmm. To the employees? Yeah. Wow, he said. Employees never buy at a full <laughs> price. Right, they wait till they get yeah. their, you uh-huh. know, discount. No, so they want to keep grabbing for anybody else too. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, I think we're gonna be out of these ties before. Give me another four fifty. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I said, well, I got two hundred more in the car. <laughs> Bring them in. Bring them in. Yeah, yeah. and. Uh, uh, that day we literally sold about yeah. 400 ties That's crazy
0: yeah. this is crazy how many designs do you think you've created of ties to this day do you have any oh, idea God. to this day I yeah. would say probably a couple thousand yeah at yeah. least yeah. yeah and you don't you only make limited editions of each design right. how many do you make of each usually design?
1: 50 of them
0: 50, that's all you make of it, of every design? Wow, wow.
1: Yeah, I'd rather create another collection and so on. Yeah, we're in your cabin on
0: the cruise ship now, and behind me on the desk, there must be like 30 or 40 designs here that you bring with you for collectors of your art, which is pretty cool. They're all gorgeous. In Detroit, just for our listeners, if you are a uh, dignitary, if you're a celebrity, if you're a newscaster, if you're a sports, you know, guy... You have to wear a pangboard tie. Mm-hmm. It's just de rigueur, you know. <laughs> you have to be sporting your pangboard tie, and they're they're so beautiful. One more beautiful than the next. Tell those quick the two tie stories that are funny. I think our listeners yeah. will enjoy these stories yeah. if like they haven't heard them before.
1: Well, for me, the best one was really the New York one, and uh, just uh, I, I was doing a trade show in New York, and uh, waiting for a friend to meet me in the lobby of the. Um, Hilton Hotel on Fifty Seventh, and uh, uh, while I'm in the lobby, all of a sudden this uh, businessman is just running through the hotel in a hurry, and I'm—he um, was running, and he ran by me so quick, but all of a sudden he just stops about five feet past me, turns around and looks at me and and says, "Now that is a tie." And I said, "Well, thank you," you know, and he stood there looking at it and said, "Can I ask you?" well, you got it. I said, I got it in Detroit, you know, and I didn't tell him it was me or anything. Just, I got it in Detroit and he said, well, could I ask how much is it? And I says, well, this was $65. We're talking about 30 years ago where Ralph Lauren, Nicole Miller, all the designer ties were, I mean, that's high price was $65. So it was selling at a premium price. So I said, $65. And he looked at me and goes, well, would you like to sell it for 100 bucks? <laughs> I said, no, no, I really appreciate the compliment. And he upped it to 200 bucks. I turned $300. And I said, sir, I really appreciate your compliment. And he just pours out this wad of cash out of his pocket and counts 400 bucks. And he says, I'm not leaving until you take it off. And I took the four hundred bucks, and I took the tie, and (laughs) and he put that on, and he ran out so fast, and said, "You made my day." And uh, I'm like, "Oh my god!" I could just imagine what's gonna happen. His meeting, he's going to, you know. Yeah, pretty sales meeting. Yeah, yeah, trying to impress somebody. Oh, he's yeah, yeah. And then tell about the one in Paris. the one in Paris was uh, really uh, just—it was so funny because my wife and I—we just got there. It was. It was one of those moments where it's like last-minute deal at the Valentine's was coming up, and she was jokingly at the house. It's like, so what are you going to do for Valentine's? He said, well, I'm taking you to Paris. <laughs> he said, yeah, right. I said, no, I'm serious, I am. And uh, I got on the phone, and I called her. at that time. It was a Northwest right. Airlines, and uh, usually, you know, they want to two weeks uh, it, it notice or something you know but um, I guess for European flights or overseas flights you didn't have to have that two weeks mm. and she said oh we have a special flight to Paris and it was like $265 no, per person and I, I was like oh I, oh, that's not a problem well, I, because I didn't want my wife to know that I'm exactly. getting all this discount <laughs> she thinks I'm paying $2,000 you know <laughs> and I said yes it'll be two passengers rather than that you know, he says, "Were you we just faking that phone call?" I said, "No, no, no. It's all set. We're leaving on Wednesday and so on." And, and he says, "Where are we staying?" He says, "Oh, well, the West Bank. You know, that uh, Saint Germain." And he says, "Yeah, right. <laughs> well, I had the number of Saint Germain where because we stayed there before. So I called the, uh, the place, and I told him, uh, I need a room for Wednesday, Thursday, uh, through you know for one week, and and." Uh, because, um, but sir, uh, just to let you know that uh, the lobby is in construction, and, and so um, the rooms are discounted uh, to like ninety dollars. I said, "Oh, don't worry about it. That's fine, you know." And, it's like, you know? and so my wife is thinking, "I'm paying. I'm getting a super, super discount for everything, you know." And uh, so we arrived in Paris and. And she's already in the cab, and I'm ready to uh, take a seat in there, and all of a sudden I hear this guy screaming behind, and and, excuse me, excuse me, and all of a sudden this guy shows up, and he's just, I mean, literally out of breath, and he's like looking at me, he goes, aren't you the guy from Detroit, the Thai guy, you know, and I was like, Thai guy? I'm sorry, I'm Korean, yeah. and my wife, if she had a blade, she would have stabbed me. Right you couldn't resist, right? And I never told a guy. He, he didn't get it right away. He sort of looked at me like, oh. No, I'm not Thai, I'm
0: Korean. That's funny. Well, I want to cover two more topics yeah. and then wind it up here. And the f- next topic I'd like to talk about is your creative process because I want to know what a day in the life of Dominic Pangborn is like. Now, are you making mostly fine art now, or yeah. you have, is it an equal balance between your design work and your No, the your design is effort?
1: pretty much uh, yeah. all, all, all done. Um, so you're, uh, you're an artist now, you're a fine artist, yeah. which is a wonderful, What a great dream. Uh, yeah, for that my, my son uh, started his own design business about uh, maybe six, seven years ago, and so... Yeah, this is uh, Oliver, right? It's yeah, Oliver, Oliver. Yeah. so I pretty much, uh, uh, if there's a project, um, uh, I may just hand it to him, you know. And he's in Chicago? No, he's in Dallas. Oh, okay, he's yeah. in Chicago, Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, take us through the, the, the a day in the life of Dominic Pankwor, yeah. creating art. Um, yeah, my process really, um, well, let's get into the process of uh, doing um, uh, fine art. One of the things that I've been very blessed with is that um, by being in the graphic arts business, the things that I had to think was that, okay, the difference between fine art and uh, and the commercial art is that uh, fine art is really about uh, your personal expression. It's what is I want and so on, you know. And pleasing yourself as a person. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, as you start to do the, the work for a commercial, it's really it's outside of you. Uh, it's uh, it's it's that you know other person or it's other group of people and so on, who the market is and this kind of. So by having that training, um, it really helps in the world of fine art. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, I do think of what I want to create. But at the same time, I also think about what the people want. Mm-hmm. So I have from the both sides, mm-hmm. you know. Understood. So so it really helps to uh, balance to have people uh, admire your work from you know the the commercial mm-hmm. side. But I want I gotta have his painting or uh, his painting. Really, there's something very intriguing. It touches me and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So, so what I do is I I go to the studio and I don't have a particular thoughts in mind. That's one of the things I try not to do is not to have a preconceived idea, you know. And sometimes um, I have a zero thought. I may pull out ten canvas and I just start. Throwing some paint on it, or uh, or take a, a chalk or pencil, or and I'll do a little just quick swish, and and all of a sudden that action drives me to the next level. And the best way I could describe it is sort of playing a game of chess. You know, you move your one pawn. Now you got a counter move, and you make the next. And it's the same thing with the art. It's just it's I make a stroke, and. Sometimes that one stroke is done, and that is the beauty of it's really having to know when to stop. Yes, yes. So the well, most it's challenging not, things for an artist, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it's and that's one of the things that I learned a long time ago uh, that when I saw this Japanese calligrapher uh, that was uh, uh, doing a demonstration in Aspen, Colorado. And she was a very famous uh, calligrapher, and, and she, it probably took her good more than 20 minutes at least to prepare the ink. And, and she had this big, huge bowl with this big, just brush about the size of a horse's tail, just soaking in that brush or in that inkwell. And he and has this big paper on the floor. And so when the time came, she spreads her leg like a sumo wrestler. And uh, she just took that, and I was right in front of her. I'm surprised that it didn't get all over me, you know. That just paint, just, or the brush came out of that jar, and she slapped it so hard onto the paper, and oh, makes a just quick swish, one stroke. And it was just like the greatest moment to witness. And someone in the bag yelled out, what is it? But she looks up and goes, it's a mother and child. And I looked down on that paper and I'm going, oh my god, it is a mother and child. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow, you could do something that takes only a fraction of a second mm-hmm. that captures Right, the whole essence. And so that's one of the things that I learned at from that moment that it could be a one simple stroke on a paper or a brush and knowing that that's it. You don't need to do any more to it, you know. And if you do need to do, then you gotta make that counter move. You say, Well, you got this motion that goes to the right. You need something that goes a vertical, and you draw a line, and, and, and then you need to do something that's horizontal or a diagonal, or it needs to have another splash to it, and, and that's one of the things that I feel that um, gives me the power of being able to do abstracts, okay? A mm-hmm. uh, lot of people think of abstract as just putting bunch of colors or a bunch of paint, and, and they don't understand. It's about composition. It's about balance that, you know, that the the color of the ink has a, you know, red has a certain amount of weight to it, as a yellow doesn't. Yellow is, you could have ten times more thickness of a yellow paint, but it still is light. It has no weight to it. Uh Yeah. Yeah. And so, having a design background is really helpful to understand abstract painting. Yeah, I
0: sense a lot of Asian spirit in your abstract work. And, you know, going back to the sumi brush banner that woman you're talking about. You know, yeah, that beautiful energy, just being completely involved in that moment of putting the stroke down on the canvas or the paper. Very Asian spirit. But you move effortlessly between abstract work and representation work. There's very few artists yeah. that can do that.
1: You know, the thing is, I love everything. You know, it's almost like food. food. You know, I don't care how much I may love lobster, I couldn't eat lobster more than once every three months at the most, mm-hmm. you know? And maybe king crab, that's different, <laughs> <laughs> but it's just to me, it's just uh, life, it's, I compare it to life. You know, people are saying, well, I, I want to live on the lake, and but if it's the same every day, it'd be boring, mm-hmm. you know? Right. But what's beautiful is that it's different. You see the waves changing from one wind to another or yeah. the storm, you know, and yeah. so on. Yeah. And that's what makes it exciting. And so uh, that's how I approach my art is that, you know, uh, there's realism that sometimes I just want to make it so real, just capture to every skin, dimple, the dots, and so on, you know. Mm-hmm. And another one, it's just, I want it to be very... Broad, abstract as it can be, yeah. you know, like the painting that was sold today of the the Japanese uh, kimono uh, outfit. Face, you just got the lips on it, and uh-huh. and rest of it. it well, just, I saw an eye underneath it, but you'd covered it. Yeah, right? I saw an eye, and you put like a like glaze of white just, over it. Yeah, just it the imagination, yeah. you know, just right. just let the people, right. Right. Uh, and and I think today was a good example of just I want my art to. I think the best word is engage. Mm -hmm. I don't want people to look at my art. I want them to engage into Mm -hmm. my art. Mm -hmm. Well, that they certainly did today. Yeah. Yeah. uh, They look at it. I want them to question, Mm -hmm. what is this guy trying to say here? Mm -hmm. You know, like the question of like the Kentucky Derby and the, the... uh, Jesus Christ and what does a horse have to do with the Christ and that yeah, kind of thing Exactly. yeah, yeah. that's why I want yeah. them to look at it I want them to question it Yeah, yeah. I read a, uh,
0: a letter that Georgia O'Keeffe wrote uh, she was talking about her work just uh, yesterday I was reading it and, and it reminds me of you she was talking about how she's always searching for that thing and you don't even know what that thing is, and but you feel the need to move toward whatever that thing is, yeah. you know? And that reminds me of you, you're always like, you've got this restless sort of spirit where you want to constantly be creating something, and you know, you're not judging it, you just you just feel right. like you've got to, you know, you got to discover
1: it, I guess. Yeah. you got to, yeah. you got to get to the point where you can discover it, right. which I thought was a beautiful way of looking at making art. I, I totally agree with her, yeah. you know? Yeah. It's just, um, right now, you know, there's a, big push on the art in motion. You know? yeah. uh, Albert would like me to expand on that more. Right. For, for, yeah. those,
0: for, for our listeners who don't know what we're talking about, Dominic creates these amazing pieces called Art in Motion Constructions and they're relief constructions and they move as you move around them, they truncate, they come toward you and they move away from you and they're actually protruding from the surface but looking like you're receding when you're looking at them and they have this, this just amazing perceptual kind of quality to them. People go crazy over them, they adore them, you know, and you've been doing those for, what, about four or five years, something yeah. like that. But it came from an experience like years ago when you were a student, yeah. right? Yeah.
1: Well, the thing was, my, my original concept was never, see at that time I was in the graphic arts, and I was in the commercial arts, right. and my whole purpose of creating that was not in the world of fine art. Mm-hmm. I was wanted to change the billboards, mm-hmm. so that's what the whole yeah. concept was. Yeah. So driving down the street and looking at a billboard, and it was like. Whoa! Yeah. Uh-huh. And I still want to do that. I want to put up a couple of billboards. <coughs> you should, yeah. yeah.
0: We have one in the Marlin Stadium in, in uh, Miami. But imagine just going,
1: driving down the highway and the just see, see these things, you
0: know. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, you know, hopefully people don't get into
1: accidents while they're looking at it. Oh Well, I'll put an alert <laughs> caution, you know. <laughs> Keep your eye on the road. Keep your eye on the road, yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. But. Uh, no, I I'm really... Uh, but I,
0: think, I think it's cool that you, you had that concept like in the 70s, right? And yes. then you brought it back in the 21st century. You know, that's a, wonderful to reach back in time and find something that you had, an idea you had, right.
1: you know, all those years yeah. ago and bringing it into fruition mm-hmm. now, you know? That's well, pretty I mean, crazy. It's, it's like the lenticular, okay? Mm-hmm, yep. it, you know, it's, I'm not looking at the lenticular as the, the... I mean, I remember lenticular when I was a kid got my first Cracker Jack box right. and in that Cracker Jack box you that's got this little car yeah, right yeah, yeah, it you flips know? back and so, forth so yeah. what I'm doing with this is really so imagine you got one panel that's mm-hmm. actual 3D mm-hmm. and then the center panel is actually lenticular
0: mm-hmm.
1: and then you got your you know, third panel it would be yeah, 3D so all again. of a sudden you, like wait wait, wait okay. a second yeah. This one's not yeah. real. This uh, is you know right. So this is kinda like I'm going with this and then I think I mentioned of uh, actually putting one lenticular on top, top of, of another yeah. and I'm not kidding. This it is mind blowing because you cannot see that it's two pieces. Mm-hmm. And and it's like <laughs> you Wait, where is it? Yeah, and so. Can't wait to see those. Yeah. Yep. So I'm thinking about. I'm actually gonna do. Like multi part. Uh-huh. So, if two does that, imagine what three of them. Yeah. So, wow. so I wanna do like big huge like six wow. foot piece. Wow. Then a four foot piece uh-huh. and a two foot piece uh-huh. and so on. It's just okay. all of a sudden you got this. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I can't wait to see that. Yeah. (laughs) That sounds pretty wild.
0: So the last thing I want to talk about is your spirituality, and uh, I hope you're comfortable talking about it. I think you probably are, because I've heard you mention it before. But you know, you came from Korea, and you were brought to America through the Catholic Adoption Agency, and I know you mentioned that you were skeptical as a child about the Catholic Church and the nature of Catholic faith. And then you came to the United States, and you were raised by a Catholic family, went to Catholic school, right? Mm-hmm. And you had a certain kind of, I don't want to say aversion to to organized religion, but maybe that's still innate skepticism. So talk about that, and then what brought you back to your faith?
1: Um, yeah, I mean, I really had difficulty of uh, accepting this uh, It's it's not just Catholic, just the whole concept of religion, and and uh, I mean, as we all know, that you know, there's more, you know, hatred and war been created by religion than any other you know means, and so uh, I really you know try not to uh, get too um, religious from uh, the. The concept of a uh, the organized religion, I guess more than uh, I, I do believe in God, and I believe in you know a number of things. Uh, um, I truly believe in the word faith, you know, and one of the things I try to instill on most people is the word faith, not so much a into God, but into themselves, having faith in themselves, and that's one of the things that I uh, always. Uh, love to talk about her, um, you know, uh, express that part of it. What happened is about 12 years ago, my wife was diagnosed with uh, cancer. And that day, I just vividly remember at the studio. I stood there and, and I didn't know what to say to her. Uh, I mean, I I, did, I knew what I had to do. Uh, to help her, but it was a it was like how am I gonna answer her? Um, I knew I would have to give her an answer that would be somewhat of a shock, you know, something that she wouldn't be expecting. You know, if for me to say, "Well, honey, don't worry, we'll get over this," or this kind of thing, it would be it's just you know patronizing. It's just it wouldn't be a true answer, and so I had to. In essence, it was like almost creating a miracle. How do I make a miracle, you know? And uh, so, um, I don't know what possessed me to say it, but it was like the answer was we're gonna go to church because I had already told her for 10 years or more that I'm not gonna go to church, you know? And I'm done with it, uh, this religion and so on. And so when I came with that answer, it, it did shock her. You know, it's like, what, yeah, we're going to go to church? You've been yeah. saying for 10 years you don't want to go to church. Right, yeah. you know. I said, well, but we're not going to go to any church. You know, we're going to go to this church up the street. We had never been inside this place, so I had no idea what to expect, you and know. Why did you pick that church? You I don't think know. I, I don't know other than that it was a church that it was helping a lot of people. Okay, so you knew about it already. Yeah, well I knew about the Capuchins. That Cap- they, Capuchin, you know, yeah. Uh-huh. But I didn't know about there was this uh, priest that his tomb lay in, in that church. Right, you know? right. So that Sunday we went there and um, we found out the name of the church was actually St. Bonaventure. And in 1957, there was a priest that died from that church by the name of Solanas Casey. And this person had committed thousands or hundreds of miracles, and that he was destined to become the first American saint. and. Um, I again, I didn't pay a whole lot of attention about it. I they have a little bit of a museum inside, so we walked through and read about how this priest had literally just hundred people from all over the place would come to this church, talk to him, and he would just give you an example. This person, the grandmother, came with her um, son. Or grandson, and who's like six years old, and he's got polio. And he tells her everything will be fine. Monday comes along, the kid has no sign of polio. You know? Mm-hmm. And I mean, it was one story after another. So some of these people are uh, actually still alive today. Mm-hmm. They're in their 80s, 90s. And who had met him. And uh, so they haven't done it, but they have a, a situation like maybe, uh, you know, every three months there'll be a testimonial day. And the people who actually had, so I went to a couple of them, and this one a woman, she had, uh, I think she had polio, I believe, and, and uh, supposedly she wasn't supposed to live. Beyond, she was gonna be like 16 years of age, and uh, grandmother had brought her and told, and he told her that she's gonna be fine and she's gonna get married and have a full life and so on. And anyways, this woman is telling this story and so on, and and uh, she said, uh, it's just, just let you know, I'm 93 years old, <laughs> <laughs> you know. One yeah. Of them. yeah. And yeah. The, the Capuchin uh, monks, they do a lot of great work in Detroit. They are incredible. Their whole mission is to devote to the poor. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. They have the, the soup kitchen in Detroit. Too. Right. Yeah. Soup uh-huh. kitchen, 2,500 meals every single day. Wow. Yeah. But they have uh, other centers there for uh, alcohol, drug abuse center, and stuff like yeah. that, you know? Yeah. And it's uh, incredible because there's only like six, seven of them in the church and uh, how much stuff that they do you know and uh, so anyways uh, that was the church I had chosen and uh, um, uh, what happened that first Sunday we sat right at the front row very center front row and I don't even remember listening to the priest or mass or anything the whole time I stared at the um, the stained glass window to the right of me, as the sun was uh, rising, it was peeping through that window, and it was literally just shining into my face. And I kept on staring at that window, almost like as if that was that was the light, light of God, you know, uh, shining upon me, and. Um, and I just felt so comfortable. It was the first time ever that I was inside of any any church that I just felt at so ease and that kind of thing that I actually loved it, uh-huh. you know? Yeah. And so following Sunday, we came back again, and again I felt the same thing, and it became almost like... The front seat was reserved for us <laughs> for like two years. <laughs> Nobody sat in that front seat. <laughs> it was we'd be coming to Christmas mass where uh-huh. people are standing room. Right, the two seats, two seats would seats be waiting be. for us. Wow. Yeah, uh-huh. and uh, and so anyways, um, um, it just changed my whole concept and. And uh, in during this time, uh, I was it was right at the same time that I got involved with Park West, and uh, again I don't know what drove me to uh, create artwork of Jesus or the crucifixion, and I start one day, um, just this one day, I did a whole series of them. I mean. Maybe about 20 pieces, and they're all different. I mean, I, I took a wood carving tool and I, and I carved into the wood and panel and paneled, painted and, and uh, just all mixture, you know. And uh, yeah, so I started to uh, paint, uh, uh, and it was really uh, at the same time uh, I got this phone call from uh, one of my uh, uh, friends that I had gone to school in New York. And uh, Carol uh, Caburn is—I um, kind of jokingly uh, called her the Wandering Jew. Um, she is Jewish, and but she's really into the Catholic Church, and so she started to go to the Catholic Church out in Troy, Michigan, and and she called me up and she said, uh, um, "Can you enter this art competition?" And I said, "What do you mean art competition?" Well, this church I'm going to, uh, Father so-and-so, he is doing this uh, art competition called uh, Art for God's Sake. Art for God's Sake. Yeah, Art for (laughs) God's Sake. And uh, so I said, Carol, I said, are you entering? She said, yeah, uh, I've been doing this for like five years and I just can't seem to win it, you know, <laughs> and I said, well, then you shouldn't be inviting me to participate because you know I'm going to win it, you know, <laughs> and she so, said, oh, my God, Dominic, you have no idea, you, you know, so-and-so, and she names all these uh, incredible artists. They enter every year, too, you know. I said, but Carol, you, you know I'm going to win, it, you know, <laughs> and she's like, you should never invite me to something like this if you're trying to compete against me, you know. And uh, so anyway, so I, I do it and, uh, and, you know, because I already had all these paintings, religious mm-hmm. paintings done. Mm-hmm. So I already had it done, <laughs> so that's the thing, you know. And uh, so this was a big, huge bus, six-foot piece. And uh, so they came and I entered it and, and uh, delivered it out there. And, and, uh, and uh, the evening of the judgment, and, and, and it's a black-tie dinner fundraiser, you know. And so I arrive and, and uh, one of the young ladies says, I go, oh, Mr. Pangborn, oh, I think you're going to be very surprised. And I said, "What? That I won? You know? Oh, someone told you?" I said, "Oh no, honey. I said I knew I won before I even did it." You know? <laughs> and she's looked at me like funny, you know. And uh, so I entered, and and uh, the curator was one of the uh, curators from the DIA, the Detroit Institute of Arts. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. And we had never met before, and so she came over and she goes, "Oh my god, damn Your piece is unbelievable." It took me I mean, the minute the second I saw it, that was it. Yeah. So it she took one, me she was one of the judges. Yeah. Yeah. She said yours was it. Yeah. The minute I saw it yeah. then it took me four hours to pick this number two. Oh wow. You're just that far ahead. Yeah.
0: Now was that the painting of Solanas Casey that you did or was that no, a different different no, project? That, yeah.
1: That was art in motion oh, of art in motion okay. of the uh, fourteen <laughs> uh, the stations of the crowds. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah. That's yeah. fantastic. Yeah. 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 And uh and it was about six foot in size. Wow. And uh so, um, the for the award, um, uh, I there was a five thousand dollar check and normally what I do in those situations I just revert the check back to them and uh-huh. you know, and yeah. they donate it back, you know. Right. But this day was this evening was so interesting. I'm on the stage and the father is uh, announcing the winner, and and he hands me the check. Well, just at that point, I see Carol just walks in, and she has no clue who won or anything, mm-hmm. nothing. And so I'm on stage with her. Wave at her to come on in, and I point at the front row seat, mm-hmm. my seat. Mm-hmm. So she comes down and, and she sits down, and she has no clue what's going on. And, and I ask, Father, could I borrow your pen? And I endorse it into and, and her name. <laughs> and then I come down from stage and you I hand it to it her. It to her uh-huh. And she's like looking at me and goes, What's this? I said, You just you, won. You won. <laughs> yeah, she's <laughs> just, just like, what do you mean?" He says, Well, look at the check. It's endorsed yeah. to you. It's, yeah. You won. <laughs> yeah. You know? And she just broke down in tears. It's, oh, just, it's like, Dominic, I just got an eviction notice for oh, no, really? wow. not being able to pay rent. Wow. I said, Well, then there it was you meant go. for you. Yeah. you wow. know." What a story. And, and, uh, that's and, amazing. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. I said, "Carol, but don't ever invite me to.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Well, I'm glad you came back to the faith. I'm sure you are too. I know your wife's doing
1: well, right? You guys are. Um, It's you know it's it's everything, and um, I mean this is not something I really. It's not something I I brag about, but it's something that. uh, Maury, I don't know how to explain it. Um, Mm -hmm. There is something that's in me, Mm -hmm. uh, you know. And uh, I have a way of the words or something, you know. Um, Six, seven years ago, Park West event, you know, uh, One, uh, I had given my introductory speech that night, and and this woman comes over to me and says, Can I talk to you? And I said, Sure. And I thought she was going to ask me about art questions or something. And she just starts off with the second. He goes, well, um, my husband's got four weeks. I said, four weeks for what? To live. I said, what are you talking about? He says, he's stage four cancer. And I said, well, I don't know what to tell you, June. You know, um, all I can say to you is that He's not going to die in four weeks. He said, who told you he's got four weeks? Well, his doctor, you know. And I said, well, I'm sure his doctor is great and so on, but I'm going to tell you, there's no one on this planet can tell you how long you have to live, Mm -hmm. okay? No one. So not that doctor, not anybody. It's up to your husband, okay? If he really wants to stay, he has to make that decision. If he believes in the doctor, he will be gone in four weeks. Right. You know. Anyways, I gave her a little talk about it and so on. And, and then the next day, it was funny, I said next day I'm standing by the rail, just watching the waves passing by. As gone. And the guy comes over and goes, uh, I want to thank you. I said, for what? He says, well, I'm June's husband, Albert. I said, so what did I do? He says, last night you talked to my wife. I said, yes. Well, she came back to the room. She was on fire. I have not seen my wife on fire like that in 25, 30 years. She was nonstop talking about you and what you said and this and that and so on. When she was so lit up, I couldn't imagine Having to leave her, mm-hmm. I am not gonna go. Wow, um, that was seven, eight years ago. Oh, yeah, they're traveling around the oh, world. Did you no stay in touch with them? Yeah, that's fantastic. There's no cancer. Wow. Nothing. Wow. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah.
0: Well, you're put on this earth for a reason, my friend. To I, make beautiful no, I works just, of art and touch people's lives, and and uh, you know that's a beautiful story.
1: But the thing is, these are the things that inspires me. You know, How could it not? Yeah, know? yeah. And uh, for me to go to the cancer center on Wednesday and and make these people laugh—that, I mean, you know.
0: You do that a lot. A lot of weeks, you're, when you're in town, you do that on Wednesday. So yeah, yeah.
1: Well, first time I went there, I remember, and it, you got everybody sitting in there, quiet, and they're just, you know, some are. Um, um, caregivers are reading their magazines or something and, and everybody's sitting there in somber just you know it's like death war you know and I start to chit chat and and I have a way of uh, creating a little humor and and you get one person laughing and and then the trailers another one to laugh or or and then I'll turn around and say would you mind minding your own business we having a private conversation, <laughs> and uh, and then that starts another one to laugh, and yeah. you know, and uh, I just love it. I, I yeah. just think, yeah. and this was a really taught to me by one of my professors uh, from um, New York. Uh-huh. I had a professor named Alan Kolber incredible artist, you know, mm-hmm. and he's the one who told me that be yourself. Right. You know You'll the, never be Picasso. Right? But Picasso won't be you. Yeah. Yeah. And one day he took me and he said, You know, come along with me. So where are you going? He says, uh, I visit some friends. He took me to the psych Awards. Oh boy. Yeah. Uh-huh. And we went on to one floor mm-hmm. and you got all these people are just literally they can't speak. Mm-hmm. And they're just like but when Alan Cober and I got on that floor you should see all these people, just such an excitement, and mm-hmm. the smiles, the laughter. It was like, it, <laughs> just jumping up and down, and you know. And I'm like, there's no doctors, nobody that could walk that corridor that create the impression what this man did. Mm-hmm. And we go into this one room, and all of a sudden you got back. 20 of these people are sitting on top of a cabinets and so on and counters and desktops and just all waiting to listen to Ellen and he goes and just and just talks this language and I, and they're laughing and just slapping their arms, and just going crazy and I can't understand a word he's saying you know he goes on and and, and just the way they respond to him, and we're there for maybe 30-45 minutes and, and we leave and as we're walking out and I said, uh, Mr. Kober, what language were you talking? He said, oh, it was just the gibberish. So, what do you mean? It's just gibberish. There was, there's no language, it, you know, but they're all respond. yeah, they all understand. <laughs> it's like, as of you just told a joke, they're all cracking up, laughing, and so on. And it's just, damn like, it's just all gibberish. <laughs> just,
0: so it was his energy,
1: right? Yeah. 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 His, his energy, yeah. his actions, and so yeah. on. You know, lighting and, up these people's lives. And yeah. I I would never forget that. Yeah. Alan uh, was just yeah. yeah
0: yeah. And you're such a positive person. Yeah. That's another thing. You know, beyond all your creativity and your amazing. Talent and dedication. You have such a positive view of life and a positive view of, you know, the blessings that you've been given. Um, I want to close it up and tell me. I remember you, you told a story about when you were young. I think you were a student, and you went into an elevator with a woman who was in an elevator,
1: and that yeah. moment
0: changed your life. Let's let's close with that story. Yeah,
1: I literally went to Chicago with a deep deep anger inside me. I was an angry person. And it took me a while to finally figure out where that anger came from. And uh, um, what happened is it was, a, you know, the fall of Chicago where it was raining and it was that sleazy snow rain day. And by the time I got to school, I was soaking wet and got into the elevator. And I was also late, probably about 10 minutes late to school. And so I was angry with myself, upset, and and as I got into that elevator, um, my head was down to the floor, and uh, all I saw was this pair of a beautiful high heel shoes, uh, lady's leg, and I never looked up to see who this woman was, what she looked like, or anything. I was just just negative world and looking downward. And all of a sudden, I hear this sweet voice coming out of this woman says, If you take that frown off your face, you're the most handsome young man i ever met, you know. And I didn't have the guards to look up and say thank you. Soon as the elevator door opened, I scrambled out of there and went to my class and went about my day and so on. and. Then nothing to remember of that day, nothing exciting or anything happened. But that evening, about seven o'clock at night, I'm painting a self-portrait uh, for my painting class. And it's a character of just sort of a very surrealism. It's just, he's, he's lurking, It's he's just very dark shadowy. And, but the character is me, it's a self-portrait, the face. And so I have this big mirror to one side, and then I have the easel, and I'm looking into the mirror of myself, and I'm painting, and I get to the forehead, and I got this deep frown into that face. And I look into the mirror, look at myself, and I ask, like, why are you so angry? And her voice came to me and start to, I think about, like, Yeah, why do I have this big frown on my face? You know? I love going to this school. Art is my passion. I should be happy. It's my choice. No one's making me do this, you know? So everything I thought about after her words, that next day, I scrapped that painting. I I threw it away and never did it, you know. And next two weeks I went about and One day, all of a sudden, same woman, says to me, well, you're looking much better. (laughs) And I got to see her, and and we chatted, and and she was a recent divorcee, and what happened is she was married to a very wealthy attorney, and he just robbed her of everything with the divorce. And so she had to go back to school and get her degree in interior design. And then she said to me, she says, "I got a lot of rich friends who are tasteless, and so I'm going to redesign all their places <laughs> and charge them a lot of money." <laughs> and uh, so then she invited me to her apartment. She lived in the John Hancock Building. And uh, and she said, "Can you paint some um, still life?" I said, "Well, like when just." Very traditional, classic. Just take a apple, slice it, a couple of you know halves, and do just just a simple apple. Mm-hmm. Maybe another one with the oranges, and so on. Very, just something that I could place in the kitchens and mm-hmm. interiors. And so I said, great. So I went back to my apartment and and uh, I painted about a dozen of these, and it's just simple on the cardboard, white cardboard. Crescent Board and uh, uh, next day I showed it to her. She said, oh my god, these are incredible. I said, I, I hope you don't get insulted. I said, she said, I'll pay you $150 a piece. I said, no, that's fine. Great. <laughs> you know, so all of a sudden it's like $1,500 <laughs> like that. you We're know, meeting in an elevator. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, she, and she explained to me, she says, I just want you to know that these paintings, if you ever h- see these somewhere, mm-hmm. and they tell you they paid thousand uh, um, dollars for it, yeah, don't I'm upset, got, yeah, don't be up <laughs> because I'm I've got to frame them, I got to yeah. do this. Right. I yeah. said no, no, yeah. hundred fifty dollars. I'm satisfied with it. Mm-hmm. What you do with it from there, that's yeah. your work. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah. and. Uh, so she really bought a lot of us their life paintings from nice. me you know, back great. then. Yeah. That's
0: great. Well, thanks for sharing that story. Yeah. and Thanks for sharing all this time with us, Tom. It's such, been no, such a pleasure. My pleasure. We, a great we went deep. You know, yeah, we we went deep. A lot, a lot of great stuff. Yeah. I think we have to do another session because we, there's still a lot more material and you know the the uh, experiences you've been through and the attitudes and ideas you have about art and the world we live in today, I think we should explore it more deeply, but that'll be for another time. I know our listeners will will love listening to what we've got in the can so far. And you're an amazing man, and uh, it's just a delight to have you as a friend, and I can't wait to see you again next time. Congratulations, by the way, on him. Really wonderful uh, auction today with some great collectors. And uh, I uh, just just want you to keep it up, and and don't ever lose that beautiful spark and that wonderful
1: energy that you have. God, I hope not. (laughs) All right. Right. Till next time. Thank you for listening to Parkwest Gallery's Behind the Artist. To learn more about Parkwest Gallery's family of artists, visit us online at parkwestgallery.com or follow us on social media.
0: You can subscribe to Behind the Artist on your favourite podcast app
1: and be sure to rate and review the podcast on iTunes.